As our kids this morning head out to Kingdom Kids, I'd like to invite uh, Donovan uh, to join me. And uh, in case you're unaware, Donovan has been serving this summer as our student ministry intern. And so today, uh, he gets to, gets promoted to big church. And uh, and uh, no, we're privileged this morning. Uh, Donovan's going to be opening the word together for us this morning. Uh, and so uh, if you were here, which obviously you weren't, I've heard it already. It's great. And so you were in for a treat this morning. So we're glad to have you part of the FACT family. Uh, we're you. glad for what uh, God has for you to share for us this morning. And so may the Spirit bless you as you open God's word with us in this Thank next moment. Thank you. Good morning, uh, FACTACOA. How are you all doing today? I didn't know where to put this last service, so I put it a bit far back. So I'll learn, though. Anyway... Uh, before I start anything, I just really want to say I appreciate you guys uh, being here. appreciate you guys welcoming me so well. Uh, I've been in town for three years, and I didn't go here. But y'all have done a really great job at, at, ma- at making me family. Um, so today we're talking about something very near and dear to my heart and my life, and it's worship. Uh, what is worship, right? But my first memory with worship, a real sweet time, I was at a small Baptist church that my stepfather introduced me to. Uh, And after service, I get in the truck and I go, hey, uh, did you guys hear that woman behind us? I was eight years old. Uh, Did you guys hear that woman behind us? And my mom starts saying, yeah, like it was so beautiful. Uh, And I said, no, like I really don't think God wanted to hear that. Um, And and that was the first time my mom really... uh, really gave me a consequence while she was laughing at what I said. Um, obviously, I learned that God loves the praises of all of his people. Uh, but anyway, I started playing music about seven years ago, just casually. Um, and I've had some really great experience with worship uh, with Hard Valleys after. While I was preparing this message, I had a whole separate message prepared. Uh, I spent probably about a week on it. And then I threw it out because I hated it. Uh, And I don't think it was what I was supposed to be preaching. Uh, But let me start with this. Worship is important to the life of the church and is one of the primary functions of the church. And the church would not be the church without worship. During the heart of the pandemic, the one thing I really missed uh, was getting to hear the people who could and couldn't sing all together in one building. Um, Corporate worship is important. And you can play the live streams all you want, But it's just different being in the building, seeing the faces, and watching the praises. Uh, But before I get into the word, if you would just bow your heads to pray with me. God, thank you for today. Uh, Thank you for the ability and privilege that we get to worship you in a a free country and in a free building. So God, just be with me as I preach your word uh, and help me speak what you want me to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. So if worship is so important to the church, then how do we do it? And the first thing is worship him in spirit and in truth. And this comes from John 4, 23 to 24. So if you just want to turn there in your Bibles with me. And it says this. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. That's my point. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. What really stuck out to me in this passage is firstly that God is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. God is literally searching for true worshipers. That means that we are then called to be true worshipers. 
But being true worshipers requires two things of us. And you might be asking, Donovan, what are those two things? The great news is the Bible explains itself pretty well. True worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. But what does that mean? What does it mean to worship in spirit? And what does it mean to worship in truth? Worshiping God in spirit means to worship God from our innermost being, from our hearts. It is a sincere form of worship. It doesn't matter what you are doing necessarily, but it matters where your heart is while you're doing it. When I think of worshiping God in spirit, I think of this word zeal. Zeal means to have great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or objective, and we need to be zealous for God. My freshman year uh, at Tacoa, there's this band called King's Kaleidoscope, and they put out this record called Zeal. And it's all about leaving the apathetic, emotionless faith that so many of us can fall into and working yourself back into love with God. And I know it sounds really harsh, but sometimes we get so caught up in everything that doesn't matter. We get discouraged in the state of the church, maybe in the state of the denomination, and, and our faith becomes stale. When in reality, when we first get saved, when we first accept Christ into our hearts, our love isn't for the church. Our love isn't for a small group. Our love isn't for the people around us. It is for God and God alone at that point. And through that abundance of love for God, are we then able to love others? When, where am I at? Uh, <laughs> anyway, Psalm 139 says that we are intricately created, intricately woven. We are intentionally made by God. Our souls are naturally attached to him because he created us. Our souls literally long for God. So as we continue throughout the years, maybe getting too focused on the church or too focused on our small group, too focused on anything that isn't Christ and Christ alone, we lose our enthusiasm. We lose our passion because we have the wrong focus. But worshiping in spirit is worshiping with the correct focus. Worshiping in spirit is looking past the music that we play, working, looking past the building that we're in, looking past the words I'm speaking and finding God instead of anything else through that. So we worship in spirit by pursuing God and God alone. But how do we worship in truth? If I came around and asked most of you, who is God to you? We would all say something along the same lines but different, just because we have different experiences, different testimonies, and God has acted in our lives in different ways. But hopefully they would all center around similar characteristics, and if they didn't, you might need to find somebody who can teach you. Uh, worshiping in truth is worshiping God for who he really is. If I came up here and told you about a God who will make you prosperous, give you all the money in the world, and give you your wildest dreams, and you just have to pray a certain amount, uh, read your Bible a certain amount, and do all that, I would hope that Chris or anybody else in this church would yank me off. But, worshiping in spirit, and in truth, worshiping in spirit is right brain, right? So it's very heartfelt, creative almost. And worshiping in truth is left brain, very analytical, very objective, right? God has a bunch of qualities. Uh, they're laid out in Deuteronomy, I believe. But he's also, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's loving, he's kind, he's slow to anger, he's holy, he's set apart from us, right? He has all of these things that I, I don't have the time to go through in a 30-minute message. But the one trait that is most relevant to how we worship God in truth is that he is worthy, God is worthy of our worship. He deserves to be worshipped because he created us. When we're talking about worshipping in spirit, we mention the fact that God knew us before we knew him. 
there was nothing that could separate us from God that could change the fact that God is worthy because he created us. God's worthiness isn't a debate. It's not my opinion. It's not your opinion. It's just an objective fact. Like, that's how it is. God could never do anything for us ever again, and he is just as worthy. And God could have never done anything for us, and he was worthy. God could not be any more worthy of our worship, and God could not be any less worthy of our worship. So that, that's part of worshiping in truth, but the other part is not just about who God is. How many of us have heard the phrase, uh, leave everything that has gone on this week behind and worship God? Right? That was something that was uh, repeated quite a bit when I was growing up. Leave your week behind. Leave your day behind. Who cares if you're having a bad day? Worship God. Worshiping in truth is worshiping also in the reality of where we're at. Reality of our circumstances. One of the largest books of the Bible is the book of Psalms. And there's a genre within the book of Psalms called Psalms of Lament. And we'll read one in a minute. But it talks about these hard times that people go through. But at the end, it ends with praise anyway. It brings the situation to God. And Peter, we're told to cast our cares, give our anxieties to God because he cares. Right? It would be different if God said, I don't, I don't care what's bothering you, I'll fix it. But God wants us to give him our cares. If you had a friend or a spouse or anybody else, and they only told you your problems, or they only told you their problems, and you were never able to share with them yours, the relationship would grow shallow because there's no vulnerability, there's no back and forth. God wants our circumstance. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. God will take our burdens from us when we give them to him. What ails us is important to God. We are supposed to give God the entire reality of our situation because he asks us to. Bringing our situation to God isn't a preference, it's obedience. Psalm 68 19 tells us to give him our burdens daily. Worshiping in spirit and truth as, as a conglomerate, is worshiping who God really is with our entire being in the reality of where we are. I'm going to repeat that. Worshiping in spirit and truth is worshiping who God really is with our entire being in the reality of where we are. And we cannot separate worshiping in spirit and in truth. If we want to be true worshipers, as John 23, 24 said, we must do both. I cannot say today I will worship in spirit and tomorrow I'll worship in truth or maybe I'll do a little bit of spirit and a little bit of truth. They are co-equal in importance. We need to be engaged emotionally in our worship and we need to be true in our worship. You, cannot, you can emotionally engage a false idea of God and you can apathetically engage a God who is truly God. But we need to do both at the same time. We need to emotionally and truthfully engage God. But when do we do that, right? If we're going to do this, we should probably have a timeline. And the easy timeline is eternity. But we should be giving God all the worship all the time. And I'm going to read from Romans 12, but I can't address Romans 12 without going through 1 through 11 quickly. So essentially, Romans 1 through 11 is Paul saying, hey, uh, God did this for us, but we didn't deserve it. And the wages for sin is death. But God gives us life anyway. Paul spends 11 chapters explaining how many mercies God has given us. He, he essentially says, God owes us nothing. We messed up everything, and somehow we're still allowed to live. But even furthermore, God has given us life and purpose in Christ. And the reason why Paul is so passionate about this is because he 
has experienced God's mercy so fully. But before I continue, I'm going to read Romans 12. And it says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, by everything I just said in the last 11 chapters, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Right? Paul is passionate because he has experienced this mercy so fully. He was one of the worst. He used to kill Christians for spreading the gospel. And now, now he's experienced God's mercy so fully that he's saying, guys, this is what we need to do. And advice is always better from people who have experienced it, right? Can you imagine if you went up to your teenage son or daughter, maybe you went back to Kingdom Kids and picked out a couple kids, mainly Caleb and Bruin, and you said, hey, I'm a little short on money this month. You guys have any ideas on how I can stretch my budget? Right? That would, be, that would be ridiculous. Why would you ever go to somebody who doesn't have experience with budgeting to budget it? But Paul is this guy who understands God's mercy so fully because he's experienced, that. he's experienced it. He understands salvation so much that he makes this new term. It's living sacrifice. We have to understand that in the Old Testament... There were laws and regulations on how you sacrificed. And you had to raise a cattle or a sheep or anything from birth. Raise it up. And then that was your sacrificial lamb. That was what you used. Everything was killed so that it could be sacrificed for God. But even that wasn't a forever sacrifice, right? Job sacrificed for his kids every weekend because he didn't know what they were doing all the time. But now, Paul is saying that God did all of this for us. He saved us from death. He gave us new life. And then we will be glorified in heaven. So in light of this, in light of everything that has just happened, you need to be a living sacrifice. And this is huge. Jesus was our substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. And now we can make life a sacrifice. There are no longer sacrifices, but instead we become the sacrifice. We are no longer chained by sin and death, and we don't have to live in fear. Because if you believe in Christ as your Savior, then death is irrelevant to you. But here's the beauty of offering your bodies, offering yourself as a living sacrifice. It isn't very restrictive. Paul doesn't say you need to play a certain amount of songs, or do a certain amount of prayers, or read your Bible a certain amount to become a living sacrifice. He doesn't say that you need to do anything other than present your bodies as a living sacrifice, set apart, holy, and acceptable to God. Your spiritual worship is offering yourself as a living sacrifice. That's your, that's your ground floor. Anything else above that becomes worship. Your prayer becomes worship. Your music becomes worship. Your fellowship becomes worship. Because in all of those things... We, are, we have already died to ourselves and forfeited our will and said, God, it is not about what I want to do in all of this. But instead, we do it in light of God's mercy for his glory. And what about when, when things seem rough? What about when, like, life stinks sometimes. Uh, things don't go our way. We get disappointed. Maybe we even feel like God isn't providing for us the way we think he should. Should we still offer our bodies as a living sacrifice? And the obvious and really easy answer is yes. But that's not always the easy option. Psalm 13 starts like this, and this is a psalm of lament. It says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart day after day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? 
And this psalm has a lot of, of connection, a lot of put back to my personal life. Um, my father left my mother when I was two. Uh, she gave him the ultimatum. Uh, he was an alcoholic at the time. And he, she said, look, uh, you can either choose your kids or choose alcohol. Uh, and he left. So he chose alcohol. From there, I continued on until I was eight. And my stepfather came in, introduced us to Christ, and I became saved. And I was then on a mission. Uh, not on a mission for God, like I should be, but instead I was on a mission to earn love from an earthly father. But he was very rough to my family and I. He was very abusive to my family and I. And a lot went on that wasn't great, and the environment of my house became difficult to live in. I never received the love from the earthly father, and the only time that he said, I love you, that I can remember, uh, I was 12 years old, and they were at a bar, and I was dancing with a random group of people, and I made him laugh, and he came back, and he said, I love you. Um, and then I asked him about it the next day, and he said, well, alcohol makes you tell the truth, and that was one of the only times. Uh, and then when I was 17, uh, right before I started my senior year in high school, he looked at me, and he said, hey... Like, you're my son, and I love you, and I care about you. Uh, and I was like, oh, great. Uh, and then they divorced three months later, and I never heard from him again. Uh, I was lost, and I didn't know what to do. Uh, these were almost the exact questions I was asking. Where was God? Like, where did he go in the nine years of my life that uh, I got saved, but nothing really happened? And it was, it was just a hard time. Uh, but, uh, thankfully, God provides. And I'll resume the story in a minute. But, so we're living as worship. We're becoming living sacrifices. And then we will be transformed in our worship. And this, this is the next verse. Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Change is the fruit of true worship. When we truly live as a sacrifice, we become transformed. Uh, we are changed to be used and new life to be planted. I love the word that Paul used, renew. Renew, the literal definition of renew is to give fresh life or strength to revive. A synonym of renew is restore, and it goes along the same lines, but I think, I think we get a better picture of renew with the word restore. You see, God isn't transforming us into these people that we never were. We are created in God's image. God isn't trying to transform a horse into a giraffe or a lion into a cat. God is bringing us back to what we were always intended to be. When we worship as a living sacrifice, God is bringing us home. When we practice surrendering to God's will, we become more of who we were already supposed to be. Worship as a living sacrifice shifts our entire life. So to finish, to finish essentially my testimony, um, I struggled for the next two years after I graduated high school. I was in and out of the church. I played bass, um, and that was the only time I showed up was when either there was a youth event or I got to play bass at church. Uh, and I was in my fall semester of my sophomore year of junior college back home. And I get a call from my youth pastor and I left because I was in class. And who wants to be in class nowadays? Um, so I get a call. So I leave. I walk down the hallway. And he tells me, hey, like, if you don't 
show up to church on the Sundays that you're not playing bass, uh, I can't have you on the worship team because whether you like it or not, everybody on this platform is a worship leader and you need to exemplify that. And it was perfectly reasonable. Uh, and he was a good guy to tell me a hard truth. But uh, I went home and I was mad for a little bit. Uh, just sat there kind of fuming in my own anger. And I wrote a list of everything that I was told God was throughout my entire life. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe most of it, right? Uh, I know a couple things I wrote was like, God is good, God is loving, God is kind, uh, God provides. And I, I looked at the list and I said, God, you have a year. You have one year to tell me that that's who you are. You have one year to prove to me that that's who you are. And for the first three months, uh, I didn't really get anything from it. So I went to a small group with my, my buddy John, who's the reason I'm down here. Um, so I went, and I, I expressed that. I expressed what I did. Uh, and they all looked at me like I was crazy, like I was stupid, and that I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and this was one of the first times in my life I was genuinely praying, reading the word, and participating in worship. But after that small group, uh, I really thought I wasn't ever going to go to church again because of the response I got. And then in the parking lot of that small group, my buddy John pulled me aside and he said, Hey, uh, I know that that felt really flat, but everybody in that room doesn't know what to do when there's true emotional vulnerability and you actually say what you think. Uh, so I left that small group and I was on, I lived by an island, so I was, I was driving down the island and I broke down on the side of the road just crying because for the first time in my life, I, I knew that I didn't know everything. Right, crazy, I'm still learning that. Um, <laughs> But what God did throughout the rest of that year uh, was transform my mind, right? He, he transformed me by the renewing of my mind. Not by doing active things in my life. He did do active things. But not by showing me he's good in the present, showing me what he's doing for me right now. But instead, he pointed me back to everything I had gone through, through the divorce, through the abuse, through everything I had gone through. And he showed me that there were people in every step of the way that provided for me exactly what I needed when I needed it because he's good, because he's loving, because he's kind, because he cares for the people that he created. And even though my abuse, whatever I had gone through, was not a result of him, he still cared enough to fix the broken things in my life. Because not only does God make sense of our future, he doesn't just transform where we're going, but he transforms how we view our past and our present. He will alter the entire timeline. So Psalm 13 finishes like this. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. How do you get from how long, Lord, where have you gone? I have no idea where you're at right now to this. And verses 3 and 4 aren't the answer because it's really just, Hey God, please kill my enemies. Uh, the, the way Psalms do. Um, but it's amazing to see that we are still able to truly worship while we're upset about something, while we've lost a loved one, while we're struggling in our marriage, while we're doing anything. Any emotion, 
anything you have, God wants it because he cares. He wants you to recognize, hey, this isn't ideal, but I'll rejoice in my God because he still cares for me, even if I don't see it right now. So church, uh, as we uh, words are hard. Uh, as we wrap up today, uh, how is God calling you to worship? You can choose not to worship. You can do whatever you want, right? Free will, if you believe in that. God's creation, but here's the thing. God's creation will call out in our place if we don't. Maybe I'm too competitive, uh, or maybe I'm prideful, but I'm not going to let a tree or a rock worship in my place uh, because I think I'm better than both of those things. I can cut down a tree and I can throw a rock. But... (laughs) We are made in the image of God. We're the only things that are made in the image of God. And there's, there's a calling that comes with that. So maybe you came here after a break in church looking for something fresh. Or maybe you've been here for a while but still feel stuck in your relationship with God. Maybe it's been stale for a while. God wants you. God wants your heart, your everything as a living sacrifice. And he will restore you and he will renew you. So church, I just invite you to reflect today on how God is calling you to worship him and what the Holy Spirit is saying to you today. So we're going to enter into some worship songs, and I would really encourage you guys. uh, Worship isn't just singing. Worship isn't just lifting up your hands, but it is offering yourself as a living sacrifice, and you can make that decision anytime you want. It's almost 12 o'clock on a Sunday, but you can decide that now. You can decide it in an hour. You can decide it in three hours. I hope you're getting the point. But reflect on that. How are you going to offer yourself as worship? So I'm just going to pray, um, and then the worship team will play. So, God, thank you for today. Thank you that you give us the ability and privilege and option to worship. Thank you that you allow us to pursue you in a way that denies ourselves. Thank you that you call us to take up our cross and that we shouldn't take that calling lightly. God, I pray that as we go through our days, as we go through this set, as, as we go through our lives, that we recognize more and more the sacrifice that you desire of us. And God, that we will be rewarded for our sacrifice, if not on this earth, in the next life. So God, be with your people. In Jesus' name, amen.